Before we have a think about chapter 1, it'll be helpful just to have a quick think about some of the background and context of Haggai, uh, and that'll be helpful for uh, as we work our way through Haggai for the next three weeks. So if you're following closely over the next three weeks, uh, you'll notice that all of Haggai's ministry occurs within about three months in the second year of um, the reign of King Darius. I'm working really hard not to say Darius, to say Darius. Um, you might have noticed as Greg was reading for us, at the start of chapter 1, we're told that it was in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, that the word of the Lord came through Haggai. What that means is that Haggai was a prophet who brought the word of the Lord to the Israelites who had returned from the exile in Babylon and who had come back to Jerusalem. And if you remember, when they got back to Jerusalem, they found the city walls obliterated and the buildings of the city itself flattened. And worst of all, when they got back, they found the temple reduced to rubble, piles of charred and blackened rock scattered around the place. And to make matters worse, when they started trying to work on rebuilding the walls in the city, they faced opposition from the people all around them, people who just didn't like them, people who didn't want to see Jerusalem rebuilt, and people who certainly didn't want to see the temple and all it stood for re-established. Now, it's in the midst of all these obstacles, a whole stack of obstacles, that the message of Haggai comes. The Lord Almighty remembers his promises and he will honour them despite any obstacle. Now so crucial is that message that the entire book is shaped in such a way as to make that message as clear as possible. Uh, You see the book is basically made up of four kind of oracles, four words of the Lord, four times we're told the word of the Lord came and each time the same message is emphasised. Each time the pattern is the same. Each time the Lord speaks, it begins with some kind of problem, some kind of obstacle that's seemingly in the way of the Lord working. But each time, by the time God has finished speaking, he has overcome whatever it was. He's remembered his promises and he's set about honouring them despite any obstacle. Now, in order to help us to see that pattern and to help us to clearly see the message of Haggai, each week for the next three weeks, the outline in the bulletin will be the same. So if you've got it in front of you, you'll notice each week we'll begin by thinking about the problem. Each week we'll see that in the face of the Lord Almighty it's really no problem at all. And each week we'll think about what lessons this might have for us. And so my prayer for us as over the next three weeks as we work through Haggai is that the Lord will allow us to see the message of Haggai clearly. So let's pray now. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this evening. Thank you that we can meet together as your people around your word. Father, we thank you particularly for the book of Haggai and for the clear message that it gives to your people, that you remember your promises and that you will honour them despite any obstacle. And so, Father, as we work our way through Haggai over the next three weeks, please help us to see that truth clearly. Please help us to be convinced and convicted by it Please bring us to trust in you more and more and please bring us to want to serve you for your glory and your honour. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At about 3.20am on the 13th of March, a young woman who had worked the night shift through the night, she was returning to her quiet neighbourhood in New York City. 
And she parked her car in a, in, where she normally does in the car park adjacent to her apartment building and she started to walk the 20 or so metres to her front door. As she walked through the car park, she noticed a man at the end of the car park and as she saw him, he started to come towards her. Naturally, she turned and she, she went towards her front door but before she could get there, he grabbed her, pulled out a knife and stabbed her. She started screaming for help, screaming she'd been stabbed and lights in the apartment building across the the road came on, windows opened and one guy yelled out, leave her alone. And so the attacker, he kind of shrugged his shoulders and walked away. And then amazingly, windows closed and lights went out. And so the bloke came back again and he attacked her again. Again she screamed out, help, help, I'm dying, I'm dying. This time heaps of windows opened, heaps of lights went on. Again, the guy uh, shrugged his shoulders. This time he walked away and got into his car and drove off. And astoundingly again, windows closed, lights went off. And the young lady was left there to crawl to her apartment building. The bloke came back. He found her at the foot of her stairs and he killed her. During those three separate attacks over the course of about 35 minutes, not one of her neighbours intervened. And worse than that, of the more than 30 people who saw at least one of the attacks, who heard her screams for help and her pleas, not one of them even called the police. When they were interviewed afterward, the neighbours admitted, sometimes sheepishly, I didn't want to get involved, or I didn't want my husband to get involved. One man said, can you believe it, he was too tired, and so he just went back to sleep. Several of them couldn't even say why they didn't help. Isn't that a terrible picture? Friends, that is apathy at its absolute worst. A total, total lack of concern. People who are utterly indifferent. And apathy, like that, was exactly what was wrong with the Israelites in Haggai chapter 1. They were apathetic toward God. And it was a major problem. As we have a look at this first oracle together, what we'll see is that the problem here is that God's people are utterly apathetic. They are completely indifferent toward God. They are far more concerned with their priorities than with God's priorities. So Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Not sure what it's like at your place, but this kind of thing happens in our home most mornings. You know, I say to the kids, right, it's time to pack your toys away, you've got five minutes to put your shoes on, and then we really need to get in the car and go to school. But often they're so indifferent to what I've just said 
that when I come back in five minutes, keys in hand, ready to jump in the car, they're playing with a balloon or they're wrestling on the floor. And when I ask them what they're doing, they've got some apparently really good reason for why they haven't got their shoes on and why what they're doing is more important. And I just stand there thinking to myself something like this, is it a time for you to be wrestling on the floor while your shoes are still not on and we're getting later and later for school? On a much, much bigger scale than that, that's the kind of thing that's going on here in Haggai. God's people are apathetic. They're indifferent to what God says is important. Instead, they're preoccupied with their own concerns. And in one sense, I think we can sympathise with them. We can sympathise because, after all, they've just got back from exile in Babylon. They've come back to their country, to a home in ruins. They've come back to a country whose infrastructure has been demolished. Its economy is a shambles. They're struggling as a nation to re-establish themselves, both politically and economically. Their level of self-sufficiency, as we'll see, their level of agricultural production was well below expectations. We can sympathise with them because, after all, it seems unwise, doesn't it, to divert already meagre resources into a high-profile building project, even one like rebuilding the temple. In the end, though, we can sympathise with them because we're no different. Just like them, we are so preoccupied with our own concerns. We're so preoccupied with our own standard of living. And if we think we would have done anything different to what they did, we're kidding ourselves. Now, of course, we're not Israel. And we're not sitting here living in our nice, fancy, panelled homes while God's temple is lying in ruins. And so on one level, we've got to be careful about, uh, about simply taking God's words here in Haggai and applying them straight to the way we think about our homes or our new building project, for example. And yet, friends, I hope you're heeding the warning of Haggai here. God is not pleased with apathy. And let's be honest, we're not just apathetic about our homes, are we? This warning against apathy has a much wider scope than that. And there will be some big implications for us. But we'll get to that in a bit. For now, I hope you can see that the Israelites were rebuked for their apathy. God says to them, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled homes while this house remains a ruin? Apathy toward God is not good enough. When my kids show that kind of apathy, when they're indifferent to what I ask them to do, there are consequences. They get punished. That's because apathy shows a lack of respect. It's disobedience. And so it deserves to be punished. And that's exactly what happens here in Haggai. In verse 5, God goes on to describe the consequences of their apathy. Have a look with me. Verse 5. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
Friends, God is not pleased with apathy. Apathy towards God shows a lack of respect. Apathy toward the things of God is disobedience and it deserves to be punished. And at least part of the rebuke of Haggai 1 here is a call to repent. Repent of apathy and indifference to God. Turn away from pursuing your own interests and instead turn towards pursuing the interests of the Lord Almighty. And that's exactly what God goes on to say. So as we keep reading and as God speaks, keep an eye out, keep an ear out for the way that in the face of the Lord Almighty, this problem of apathy is really no problem at all. Let's pick it up from verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. Repent of striving for your own comfort. Repent of being preoccupied with your own standard of living. Instead, concern yourself with my concerns. Concern yourself with my pleasure. Concern yourself with my honour. Go and get some wood, he says, and start building my house. And did you notice how the people respond? It's there in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. What a delightful picture of repentance. They were completely apathetic. They were completely unconcerned with the things of God. But now they hear God speak and they obey his voice and they fear him. It's delightful. And yet there's something just a little bit odd here. There's something missing. You see, when my kids disrespect me by being indifferent to what I ask them to do, they're punished. And eventually they repent. And part of their repentance means that they do what I originally asked them to do. They put their shoes on and they hop in their car and we go to school. And so if we're reading through Haggai and we've been following what's going on up to this point, we should expect to read something like this. The people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the people feared the Lord and the people began to work on the house of the Lord. But it doesn't say that. Why? Well, I think it's because this is a reminder that it is the Lord himself who remembers his promises and who honours them despite any obstacle. You see, what happens next is that God himself comes to his people and he stirs up their spirit and he causes them to begin to work on the temple. Verse 13, have a look with me. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. 
So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. Make no mistake, friends, it wasn't the people's willpower. It wasn't their sheer determination. It wasn't their desire to repent that overcame their apathy. Instead, God himself came and he stirred up their spirits and he caused them to begin the work. In the face of the Lord Almighty, the problem of apathy was really no problem at all. Now, friends, I hope you can see that the message of Haggai is that the Lord Almighty remembers his promises and he will honour them despite any obstacle, even the apathy of his people. So what are the lessons in this for us? Well, there are at least two. Firstly, we need to remember that God is not pleased with apathy. God doesn't like it when his people are indifferent to him, when we're more concerned with our priorities than his priorities. God is not pleased with apathy. And so we need to repent. And secondly, we need to remember that we can't do this on our own. God alone is the one who overcomes the apathy of his people. God alone changes our hearts and our minds like Leanne spoke about. We need his spirit. And so, friends, we pray. Now, I hope you can feel the weight and the seriousness of this message from Haggai 1. Because, friends, apathy is dangerous. It's got the potential to be one of those acceptable sins, I think. You know, the kind of things that everyone is doing. And it doesn't really look that bad and it doesn't really seem to hurt anyone, so it must be okay. But apathy is not okay. God is not pleased with apathy. We need to repent of it. And we need to ask God to work in us by his spirit to overcome our apathy. So let me ask you, how are you apathetic to the things of God? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to pray that God will change in your life? What about if you think about how you spend your time? What would that say? How much time do you spend at sports, say, playing hockey or cricket or or, or soccer? How does that compare to how much time you spent preparing to come to church this evening? Like, have you even read Haggai before you turned up tonight? How does it compare to how much time you spend preparing and participating in growth group each week? How much time do you spend at work? How much time do you spend on your family, making meals, getting ready for school, doing homework? How much time do you spend with your family, training them in the things of God? Look, none of those things is bad. But friends, when when they become our priorities instead of the things of God, that's apathy. What about this? How much time do you spend in front of some kind of screen each week? Watching TV 
watching movies on your phone, looking at Facebook, reading your Twitter feed, just surfing the net. How does that compare with how much time you spend each week reading the Bible? And while we're on that, how do you go with reading the Bible? I'm not asking, do you think it's a good thing? I'm not asking, do you think you should be doing it? I'm asking, how do you go with it? How do you go with reading the Bible by yourself on a regular basis? How do you go with encouraging one another daily? How do you go with reading the Bible with your wife? How do you go with reading the Bible with your kids? What sorts of excuses do you come up with for why you can't do it? I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. That is apathy. And we need to repent of attitudes like that. What about telling your friends about Jesus? You probably could have guessed that one had come up. But seriously, honestly, are you apathetic about this too? Do you make excuses about this too? If we take a lesson from Haggai, maybe it's this. Maybe you need to pray that God would stir you up by his spirit. That you would be excited by the things of God. That you would be excited by the gospel. That you would be excited by the possibility of bringing glory to God by pointing your friends to him. What about growth group? Are you apathetic about growth groups? Perhaps... You've been here for a number of years and each year you've heard the invitation to join a growth group but you just haven't got around to it. Perhaps it's time for you to think about joining a growth group now. What excuses do you have? What excuses come into your head for not joining a group? What's making you apathetic? Maybe God needs to change you. Pray that God will change your heart. Pray that he will stir you up by his spirit. And what about being a follower of Jesus? Are you apathetic about that too? You could have been here for years. You've heard the gospel and you still don't submit to Jesus as your Lord. What excuses are you making? As you sit here right now, what excuses are you making for not accepting Jesus as your Lord? What's making you apathetic? Friends, I pray for you that he will stir you up by his spirit, that you will repent and submit to him as Lord. Now, of course, the good news is not all of us are apathetic, are we? Some of us are actually excited about the things of God. Some of us are excited about seeking first his kingdom. And we love to do things that God is pleased with, things that he delights in, things that honour him. And that is great. Praise the Lord. The Spirit is clearly at work in people like you. And friends, if that is you, by all means, please keep praying that God would keep working in you, to keep stirring you up. But for the rest of us, hopefully you've heard the call of Haggai, the call to consider carefully your ways, the call to repent of apathy and indifference to God, And by the grace of God, hopefully you've been stirred up by his spirit. 
Hopefully you do want to love and serve the Lord Almighty more. It would be great to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we feel the weight of of the rebuke that we've heard from Haggai this evening. Father, we confess that so often we are apathetic and indifferent to what you say, to the things that you say really matters. Father, please uh, work in us by your Spirit. Stir up our hearts that we might repent. Father, we do want to be people who seek first your kingdom. We want to be people uh, who seek your pleasure. We want to be people who bring you honour. And so, Father, we pray, work in us by your Spirit. Stir us up. Use us to do good things for your kingdom. Amen.